Amen. Yes. It's always good if you get invited back. I know, and good food. Too. Hey, can we say give it up for the food? Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, a little bit about us. Actually, I'm going to have Jack put up our picture of our kids because I want to tell a little story. Uh, these, are, these are our four kids. That is um, on the next to me. That's Abigail, our youngest, and she is 20. And then next to Don, that's Keaton. He's 33. Emma Jean is 24, and Jacob is 25. Those are our kiddos. And there's nothing like your kids to help you learn more about who you are. And so um, when Emma was like, I think around seven or eight, uh, I was having a conflict with someone while driving. Does anyone have this experience? (laughs) And they were like motioning to me and doing some silly things, you know? And so I was frustrated by their bad behavior and apparently they were frustrated by mine. And so there was conflict, right, among us on the road. And they, and then this person started, like, making motions at me. And I don't know why. I was so frustrated. I was like, you're the one. You're the one who's doing it, not me. And so as a way to respond to the person, I did back to them what they were doing to me, the motion that they did. I did back to them. I was like that. And then, Emma, I turn and I look. You ever had this this kind of experience and you're then you wish someone wasn't in the car with you at that point but emma was in the car and she goes what are you doing mommy and i was like i'm doing what those people are doing and she goes you shouldn't (laughs) (laughs) kind of at a young age she recognized in her soul that that was not a good response to the conflict that was going on like she could see oh that's too bad mom you shouldn't really be doing that so yeah (laughs) yeah um hey uh we were talking on the way over here that this topic of kind of conflict um man it just stirs up all kinds of interesting things and there are lots of messages we we said on sunday um love that you guys are talking about um lies about love because i think there's like our, our culture just gives us a lot of messages about conflict. So we would love from you guys, we were just talking on the way over here, like, what would you say? Uh, and no, we're not looking for any amazingly deep reflective answers, but if we just toss from what our culture talks to us about conflict, what are some things that you just think are messages that we just hear floating around about conflict? Conflict is... What messages do we hear from culture or the world? Yeah, just shout them out. Push it down. Push it down. It's, it's good. good. Yeah. Shake, Shake it, off. it off. Avoid yeah. it. Avoid it. Build character. Okay. Builds yeah. Character. There you go. Okay. Someone said something over here. It's entertainment. Yes. 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 Conflict Re- is entertainment. Reality yes. TV shows. Yes, yeah. It's true. Like a bad <clears throat> car accident. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Dangerous. And then what yeah. someone say back there? Misunderstanding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we got those cultural messages floating around. Um, what about in the faith community? Uh, what do you hear in the faith community about conflict? Maybe not just this faith community, but just in general, if you've been a part of a thing, what kind of messages would you say that we hear about conflict? Okay. Resolve it as soon as possible. Okay. okay. Yeah. What else? Forgive. Forgive. Okay. Okay. Turn, Turn the other, the other cheek. cheek. All things work together. Okay. Pray. Iron sharpens. Iron sharpens iron, okay. and then we can stab each other with that sharp iron, because <laughs> that's biblical. It's really biblical. Um, yeah. <clears throat> okay, last category in our families that we grew up in, right? Uh, we all grew up in families. We all grew up in little communities. Um, and messages that maybe you have heard in families just about what do we do with conflict? Sweep it under rug the rug. sweepers, yes. Okay, thank you. Fight, Fight it, it out. out. Last man standing. Hug, Hug it, out. it out. Shut Not down. Deal. Not a Shut big deal. Withdraw. At least we're communicating. Oh, wow. Wow. Look, we're communicating, and the police officers are here, and the next door neighbor. <laughs> we're all having a conversation. We're all having a conversation. Thank God we're communicating. <laughs> yes, it's true. 
be the be bigger the person. Bigger person. Hmm. If you, oh, you don't, yes, that's a good one. Yes, you can't say anything nice, yeah. don't say anything at all. Yeah, it's really true. Um, here's what's interesting. What we're talking about is, man, that's a lot of different messages to kind of absorb um, and to kind of spin around. Um, so we're going to do a quick survey for you guys, just real quick. This is just a hand raise. This okay. is a would you rather. Would you so rather? So you have to choose between these two. So yeah. Don's going to give you two, and then you have to yeah, choose. Yeah, forced choice. Would you rather stay up um, and finish a conflict or go to bed and talk the next day. If you want to stay up and finish it, who wants to stay up and finish it? Stay up and finish it. All right. God bless you, people. All right. Who wants to go to bed and pick it up the next day? All right. Some of you are going to have to change partners. That's the awkward <laughs> part. But it's okay. We we talked to Tim and we'll figure all this out. Would you rather avoid an argument, option A, or win a fight? Would you rather avoid an argument or win a fight? Who wants to avoid an argument? Oh, my honest answer is sure. Let's go ahead. Uh, and who wants to win a fight? That's right. Okay, we got we got them both in here. Okay, uh, third option. Would you rather um, push your partner to finish a goal or change the goal to support your partner? Push your partner to finish a goal or change the goal to support your partner? Who wants to push your partner to finish the goal? All right, I saw your hands. God bless you. Who wants to change the goal to support your partner? Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, okay. Again, we got to change partners, it looks like. Okay, last one. Would you rather ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness? Would you rather be asking for forgiveness or would you rather give forgiveness? Who would rather ask for forgiveness? Who would rather be giving it? Okay. How many of you, how many of you would <clears throat> rather not do either? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we're looking for that. How many would just like to throw up in their mouth a little bit? On either one of those questions and um, move on. Yeah. So the question is, why is it so hard to have healthy conflict? Why is it so hard to have good conversations when having conflict? Mm, pride. Dang. Mm, you have to act like an adult. Dang. What's that? Stupidity. Stupidity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The truth is, like, when we come to this place of conflict, what comes forward inside of us is the thing that has been laid in us a long time ago. And some of us, we're not aware of those things that have been layered in us until we're live and we're in the conflict. And then all of a sudden, we revert back to a way that we dealt in our family or how we were treated as a sibling or maybe it was our family system or maybe it was a friendship. But the truth is there's this history inside of us that we bring to all of our relationships. And as we come into our current relationships, we have a hope and desire about how it'll go. And a lot of times it falls in a way that we're not expecting. It goes to these places where you're like, wow, I was hoping that I would show up in this relationship and it would be very different this time. But the truth is we carry our history, our hopes, our hurts, wherever we go. And so when we do that, when we get to those places where we have conflict and really honestly, we would say if someone comes in and tells us, hey, there was never any conflict in our family or my never saw my parents fight, that's actually really concerning because everyone like Tim had said this yesterday, everyone has conflict. Probably when you're sitting here and we were saying who wants this and who does this, one of you did one and one did the other because we have this natural way sometimes of being with someone who's very different than us. And the differences are not a problem for Christ. The differences are not a problem for the way that he has designed us yeah. But we can show up, and when we show up, we go, how do we do this in a healthy way? Because most of us, if we're honest, have not seen it done very well in our own family history or with friendships or maybe even in the church. So we don't know what to do because we use kind of this mix of, like, the world, our family, our faith community. Which one are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to pray? Are we supposed to forgive? Are we supposed to yell? Are we supposed to stuff it? 
Like, what are the things that we're supposed to do? And as we have hard conversations, you find it to be difficult. Yeah, it'd be nice if there was a warning system before you had a really big conflict. Wouldn't that be kind of nice, like a hurricane siren or something that was going off? But a lot of times, um, at least in our life, we're just um, we're just mining our own business. And suddenly, I, we are in the middle of something that we go, where the heck did this come from? And I think sometimes we expect it'll be a huge issue. It'll be really doing but most of us and all of us, you know, we're carrying our histories inside of us and our hurts and our hopes inside of us. They're not behind us. They're inside of us. So they go everywhere we go. Um, and those, those hurts and histories and hopes can really start to interact. And when they do, man, we're talking about powerful forces. There was a, a, a very large... Um, hurricane in Florida a few years ago. And afterwards, it was kind of amazing. They had a picture. This entire section of beach was uh, virtually all uh, all wiped out. And there was one house that was left. They called it the Sandcastle. And uh, virtually all around this house, uh, every house on that beach had been flattened. And this house got some coverage. <clears throat> and when they interviewed the guy about the house, what made the house, how come that house got left and everything else was flattened. Uh, and when they interviewed him, when this guy built the house, he kind of built it with an idea that there would probably be some strong winds and some high tides. Uh, and there would probably, they're on the beachfront, and that means there's going to be some exposure. So he really built this thing for those kinds of things. And he had foundations that went way down to the bedrock. Um, and as a result, when all those things happen, the wind and the waves, Jesus talks about that about wise and foolish people who hear his words and then they build houses and then storms come and they want the same things. They do the same things. Uh, but the foolish person after the storm is wiped out and the wise person has a house like this. Um, and the difference between a foolish person and a wise person, it's not what they know. They know the same thing. It's not what they do. They do the same thing. They build something. It's not what happens to them. A storm comes. The difference is because a wise person takes these words and principles and puts them into practice. And a foolish person doesn't. They go, oh, cool. All right, yeah. That's the difference, right? When we put things into practice, we sink foundations into our lives. So we want to think about what are the practices that are life-giving? What are the practices that give us foundations? Because storms will reveal what's going on in us. Um, and what are those things that give us foundation? Because we are going to have storms, ready or not, believe it or not. Um, and we just want to be kind of more prepared for it. Yeah. One of the most difficult <clears throat> things about having hard conversations and having healthy conflict is being able to recognize what you do inside of it. What's most obvious to us in conflict is what someone else is doing. What is not so obvious is what we do. We're not really looking in the mirror at what we're doing. We're actually just observing. And the hardest thing is to recognize it and to not run from it. And then to even see, what am I thinking? What am I doing? How am I acting? Am I pulling up the ladder <laughs> in my tree? Am I giving the silent treatment? Am I shutting down? Am I giving a look? Am I dismissing? Like, what's happening, right? Right. The truth is, like, if we can't recognize it, then we're not going to, we're going to bring that still inside of our relationship and we're going to act in the same way. And if we can recognize it, even saying something like, wow, I think I'm feeling really sad or disappointed or angry. I think I feel let down right now. Or you can say, I think I, I feel like I'm 10 again. <laughs> Because some of us act an age where we had some serious doubts about being able to do conflict because we saw it in our family and it didn't go well. So even if you can say something in the middle of a conflict saying, wow, I don't think I'm doing very well, recognizing it is putting words to what's really going on inside of us. Yeah, it was a, I can't remember when, we'd been married a few years and we were going back and forth. It started off reasonable, and then it started getting less reasonable. Uh, and then at some point, as it was escalating, I turned to Renee, and I just, I couldn't quite stop myself, and I go, you ain't the boss of me. 
And even as I said it, I I was trying to claw it back. And and she stopped. She goes, what did you say? And I, I was kind of stunned. And she goes, did, did you just say you ain't the boss of me? And I go, I think I did. And she goes, do you remember how old you were the last time you said that? And I go, I believe it was eight. She goes, wow, I've never met your eight-year-old before. He's quite a little character. I mean, it was kind of like going, I was. I was transformed because conflict kind of connects us to places in us that are, that are not completely developed. And if you're married to somebody, you have a close relationship, you probably have this superpower of turning them back into eight. And you probably have the privilege and the horror of seeing what they look like when they were eight. You're not the boss of me. Get out of my treehouse. No girls allowed. I mean, this is like, I was in school a long time. That doesn't make sense. Right. But we get, uh, when those things come up, and if you're with a person in, in a very exposed relational way, that ability to go, yeah, um, that can happen. That does happen. And um, when it does, it can explode out of us. There was <clears throat> a horrible tragedy about five years ago in Beirut. And um, uh, there was a, a large um, shipment of ammonia nitrate, which is a fertilizer, and it was being stored in a warehouse there um, on, this, on the uh, waterfront in Beirut. And there was a, like a, about 100 tons of it. Um, ammonia nitrate, if you take ammonia nitrate and you plow it into the ground, it really makes things grow. It's, an, it's the, large, the world's largest fertilizer. But if you pile up ammonia nitrate, uh, which is what happened in the warehouse, and if you heat it up because a fire started in that warehouse, uh, it actually detonated the whole, you know, 5 million pounds of ammonia nitrate. And um, uh, I don't know if that's going to play or not, yeah. but... Oh, I'm looking on the back one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's fertilizer going up. Um, it it leveled about eight blocks, killed over 100 people. I mean, decimated the entire landscape of downtown Beirut around the waterfront. <clears throat> and here's the thing. Ammonia nitrate is just a chemical. Um, but it's a powerful chemical. And we talk about conflict. Is conflict good or is conflict bad? Um, conflict is powerful right? Um, but if you resolve conflict, if you work it into and through a relationship, it actually causes growth. It actually causes maturity. It actually causes something very fruitful and life-giving to happen. But if you take conflict and you, you store it up somewhere um, and you just don't acknowledge it, you don't engage it, if some other fire starts and heats it up, um, that kind of explosive um, detonation uh, can become devastating. And so uh, some people may grow up and you may have experienced the devastation and conflict and you go, oh my gosh, conflict is devastating. I felt it. I've been on, on this side of that bomb. Um, and I would say destructive conflict is very, very destructive. Uh, but when you work through things um, and you see growth on the other side, um, we want to be able to kind of recognize the, the power of it to do something destructive or productive and try to stay on the right side of it. Yeah. And I think what we've seen um, in marriage, in relationships, and even in the Christian community, this idea of what conflict a lot of times can do is draw a line in relationships. And what God is always up to, and Jesus talks so much about, if you look at Jesus' last words to us, he talks a lot about us being the body and a unity and us being able to be with one another as he is with the Father. So he's saying that separation that a lot of times we experience in conflict, he's saying, what do you want to do about that? To be able to recognize it and then find what happens to us in that process going, I need to recognize what I'm doing first. Yeah. And anytime that we're in conflict, one of the most important things to do is to pay attention to the very first thing that happens. It's an important part in any kind of relationship to pay attention to the very first thing that happens when you go, oh, something happened with you right then something happened with me 
Because the truth is, if you start off poor inside of a relationship, it'll continue to go poor. If you start off in the conversation with someone, you're like, wait a minute, I don't think we can recover from that. I think we have to go back. I think we have to figure out what's going on with us. And the truth is, like, this whole idea of conflict actually can change us in a way that we can become a more healthy person. Going back to places where we've been eight or 10 or younger before, and we've not been able to do it, the Lord's trying to recover those places. The way that we've learned self-protection and defensiveness is because we've watched that in others, and we picked up on their habits. A lot of times what we can look at is, what did you learn from your own family system about conflict? That's where you can start going, what did I learn about this? But paying attention to the very first things and going, what do I do? And what happened inside of the relationship? And we got off with one another. And how can we get to a different place? Or you can even say the question, seems like there's some distance that just happened when when we talked about that. Do you feel frustrated? Having any kind of language to go with that and understanding where you start and you got off track with each other is an important one of it. One important part. James 4.1 says, what's causing the conflicts between you? Isn't it the battle within you? Recognizing what battle's going on inside of us is a part of what we're bringing. You go, what are you battling right now? You battling jealousy? Are you battling comparison? Are you battling competition? Self-hatred? Those battles are coming out inside of the relationship. And the reason why we're calling this is conflict revolution is because the word revolution is to overthrow, the definition of it is overthrow an established position, an old system, and our self-protective position. So you have to be able to look at your old place of what you've done inside a conflict in in order to overthrow it and go, I don't want to be like that, or I don't want to do my family system. I want to learn how to do conflict and get all the way through and get to the other side of it. Yeah, it's a very strong default that when we end up in a conflict situation to take that posture of right away self-protect. Like it happens fast. The emotional part of our brain is about six times faster than the logical part. So you feel threatened, you feel ignored, you feel violated, and boom. You're self-protective. And as soon as we self-protect, right, and we do that, here's the thing. Once you self-protect, you cannot self-reflect. As soon as you get defensive, all of your time and energy is going, what are they doing? Why did they say that? What's coming next? It's all outward focused. As soon as we get self-protective, we can't self-reflect. And that's just what James asked us to do. What's causing the conflict? Uh, the money, the kids, the budget, the neighbor. No, those are the topics of the conflict. What's causing the conflict? Isn't it the battle within you? What's going on in you? I can't tell because I'm protecting. If we get self-protective, we lose access to what's going on in us. And that is a critical piece of the process. The other thing you can't do if if we get self-protective, when I self-protect, I can't connect. It's, it's mutually exclusive. I can't connect with a person when I'm protecting from the person, right? I've got a nice safe wall, but I'm on the other side of it. And when you're in that position of being self-protective, self-defensive, the default pattern is I've got to win the argument. That's what I've got to do. And here's the deal. If I'm self-protecting and I don't know what's going on in me and I can't connect with you, I'm not going to win the argument. Um, or I might, if I happen to, to come out on top, but for sure, I will not win the relationship. And if the goal is only to win the argument while we lose the relationship, that's a really small win, particularly when it's people we care about, right? And if we're not very intentional, our system is going to take us down. Hey, I won the argument and I lost the relationship. That, that is not a big enough win. Um, so we have to kind of be, we have to be pretty mindful of how that process is unfolding. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to have you do something right now. In the middle of your tables, there is a self, there's self-defensive worksheet. We'd like every person to have one of those and there's a pen. 
like to pull those out and we'd like you to look at that list. And we would like you, if you could right now, to mark the ones that apply to you. Now, if you kind of go, I don't know for sure, put a question mark next to it and then move on to the next one. But when you feel threatened, when you feel insecure, when you feel like you're trying to self-protect, mark the ones that you think apply to you. So maybe we'll put on a little bit of background music uh, while you do that. So go ahead and fill that, fill that out and um, put your name at the top because you're going to take that home with you. So you could, you're not, it's not to be shown up here on the screen, but just go ahead and mark the ones that apply to you. Um, it's, it's always interesting. And, you know, one of the things that we'd love for you to do is kind of look at that and whether you have roommates or friends, spouse, um, that you have a conversation about that. One of the hardest things is to recognize what we do. And it's best to look at that kind of self-defensive worksheet when you're not in a, in an argument. Yeah. And then the other part of it is if you bring it out and you share it with another person, that's vulnerable to say, I think what I do is this. I say absolutes or I get quiet and I stop talking or whatever thing that you bring out. You'd have to have this kind of place with one another where you go, hey, I think this is what I do. Now, you'd have to have this commitment to going, I'm not going to try and point that out when the other person does that, right? So having a conversation, though, helps us to develop skills to not do our default system. The first thing in understanding our defensiveness is going, I need to recognize what I do when I get scared and afraid and insecure and I have conflict. When I get to those places, this is the thing that I do. And if we can start to recognize it and we are not defensive about our defensiveness, that's this place of humility. It's going, I need God's help to not do the thing that I've been taught. I need God's help to be able to recognize how my family has affected what I do inside of other relationships. But our habits so often come from this place where it's been in our history for a long time, and it just pops out of of us as soon as a conflict comes. So if we can recognize it before that, that helps us to go, hey, I'm starting to do the thing that I talked about. I'm starting to shut down. I'm starting to get big. I'm dominating. I'm talking too much. I'm talking too loud. I'm talking over you. Whatever thing we do, we'll do automatically and it'll just pop out of us. But if we can start to recognize it and then say it out loud, say, hey, I think that I'm doing that right now. I need a moment. Yeah. And I would say this, um, probably the things that you and I do to protect ourselves, we've been doing since we were five or six years old. We're good at it. We're good at it. It's a default. It happens naturally. Uh, but here's the thing. It's also costing us something in our relationships and our connection. Here's the only thing. I'm the only one that can dismantle my self-protectiveness. That's good. I'm the only one that can really go after that. I'm the only one that can go, wow, I'm, I'm kind of building a case against you right now. I'm pretending to listen to you, but really, <laughs> I'm just building a case that I'm going to come back and I'm going to cross-examine you. I'm not really listening, right? I mean, if we have to pay attention to what we're doing, because if Renee challenges me and my defensiveness, you know what I do? I get defensive about my defensiveness, right? I just put another layer on, right? Which is why I would say, we got to start with us. You go, man, what am I doing that's making it harder, that's making it harder to connect to my partner? They can't take apart the things that I do inside. I've got to task myself with that. And we're going to be kind to ourselves. We don't have to be perfect. We're messy people. That's okay. We don't have to beat ourselves up, but we have to be able to kind of speak the truth and love to ourselves and kind of go, yeah, you know what? I'm super defensive about that. And I'm, I'm trying to get to a better place, but I, I really had a big reaction. Can we try that again? So we want to take responsibility for our own stuff because our partners and friends, you know, they'll step on all the landmines we put out there. They'll never even get close. So um, we're going to give ourselves that. that yeah. And say to hear from the person rather than defend your position is an important part of that. To hear from the person rather than defend your position. 
Now that, that position thing is that separation that we talked about earlier. That's what's gotten between us. But what you'd have to do is say, I'm going to take this thing that has separated us, put it over here and ask God if I can see the person instead. That's a willingness that we have to have from God to go, wow, I really am so much looking at the thing that's separating us yeah. that I can't see the person anymore. Yeah. And God says, take that out, put it over here. That's some of taking the log out of your own eye and going, hey, I want to look at them instead. I want to see what's happening with them. And we would have to back burner our reaction, our defensiveness in order to hear what's going on with the other person. Yeah, we have a rule in our family that we're just going to practice stuff. Like no performance, no perfection, just practice. But uh, I would come home when our kids were little and some days I would walk in from the garage within 30 seconds, I would just, I mean, ruin the basic, the evening. And like I'd walk in, I was grumpy and I'd, I'd bark at the kids. I'd say something to Renee and then I'd freeze. And we have this little rule in our family where I would just go, wow, I was just a total inappropriate person. Uh, I was too tired. I got home too fast. There's too much stress. So we would say this, I go, Hey, um, you guys, can I try that again? And they'd go, that'd be great, dad. <laughs> I go back in the garage Literally, and I go, okay, I love them. I want them to love me. I was a total jerk. Here we go, take two. Children, why? You've been so busy. Look, there's things everywhere. There's my lovely wife. I mean, they're kind of laughing, but here's the deal. If you realize you just dropped it, you just tripped. Being able to go, hey, could I try that again? I totally, man, could I? And in our family, we do do-overs. We go, yes. Let's do that again, right? Because we're practicing this stuff. We get tripped up being able to say it out loud, give each other some grace to do it again. We're not going to be mad at you all night. We're just going to try to practice doing it better and with more connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in order to do that, in order to see the person, in order to get, can I try that again? There are times when something feels like such a big topic that you go, I can't work it out with you right now. So this is an important time then we go, I need to wrestle it out with God before I'm trying to work it out with you. Yeah. I need to go and have a conversation with God and he has a big enough place that I can dump everything on his lap. I can come to him and I'm not going to be able to come to a relationship that's important to me with kindness and conviction. And we're called to come with kindness and conviction. Yeah. But that's this place of humility unless I have wrestled it out with God first. I have to wrestle it out with God and then I can come with conviction and kindness. And then we can do that thing where you go, I want to start again. I want a different place. So it's not the mistakes that we make that do the most damage. It's the mistakes that we lose track of, the mistakes that we, that we don't acknowledge, the mistakes that are not forgiven. That baseline of kind of having this resentment inside of us, this bitterness from the last one where you go, well, you know what you did five years ago? It's because we haven't done this practice for going, work it out with God, come back and release it and ask for forgiveness with one another. God has this clearing place that he has available to us. It's why he talks so much about, don't come to the altar unless you've forgiven. Yeah. Because he knows in our best interest, it, we need to release. Yeah. We can't be in great relationships unless we've done something with the Lord and really forgiven yeah. and released back to him the people that are driving us crazy. If we've not done that, if we've not done this place of making an amends with the Lord and going, hey, so this is how I'm feeling about this, then we're going to vent everything to the other person. Yeah. And really, the other person <clears throat> isn't supposed to have all our venting. The other person isn't intended to be that place. Yeah. We just have one perfect Savior. Yeah. And when we go to the Savior, He can rescue us. He can find us. He can actually change our minds, that transformation of mind yeah. thing. We can have a conversation with God and go, after we've dumped everything on Him, and go, what do you think about this? Yeah. yeah. How do you see this? Yeah, here's the thing. If you're going to be in relationships that are honest and true and connected, here's, what's, here's the reality. You cannot not get hurt in an exposed, vulnerable relationship. It's the price of admission. If you're going to put your heart out there, your money out there, your trust out there, you are going to get hurt. That's going to happen. 
you also cannot not hurt the person you're with because you're broken. We're all dumpster fires, no matter how we look or how, whether we have microphones, we're all dumpster fires. So you're going to hurt the people that you're trying to care about and they're going to hurt you. That is, that cannot not happen. But what happens then? You build up scar tissue, you hold on, you get resentful, you get bitter, you shut down, you get angry. All of those are possibilities. All of those are normal. None of those are life-giving, right? Um, Jesus talks a lot about uh, confession and forgiveness. The word forgive in Greek is to release. If a boat's tied up at the dock, you forgive the boat. And when you forgive the boat, the boat sails. And after a while, you can't even see it. The opposite of forgiving a boat and letting it sail is to harbor the boat. Tie it up right there. Come out every day and look at it again and go, I'm harboring that. I'm looking at it. I'm reminding myself of that. I'm re recycling and reenacting it. If we harbor our hurts and harbor our offenses and harbor our violations, we can stay in that broken place for a day, a month, or a lifetime. And forgiving uh, is a gift that we're called to receive and release to go, I'm going to let that sail. I'm not saying it wasn't wrong. I'm not saying it was good. You can only forgive a guilty person, by the way. So forgiving someone is not saying you're not guilty, not saying that, that what happened wasn't. It's acknowledging that, but saying, I'm not going to hold on to the herd or I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to get toxic. And it's going to make me all shriveled up and I want to be alive. Um, so this idea that, that we're invited into important relationships, and that's going to mean that we're going to have to also have a practice of acknowledging the ways that we have caused hurt and the way we've been hurt. And God's given us a provision for that too. Yeah. So we just want to um, show you a little bit of what an amends process looks like, because here's the thing. Um, as we come to one another, if we don't have a practice of continually releasing one another and, and being recognizing the places where we have blown it to, then we're going to have a buildup in our relationship that'll be between us. Yeah. That's for all relationships, by the way. So forgiving and releasing is a part of what the practice is that God says, right? And here's why we can do it and how we can do it. Because Christ and his goodness has forgiven us. Yeah. When we have come to him, he says, yes, you're completely forgiven. With that backdrop, that's why we forgive. Because his mercy has been so kind. Yes. Because he has loved us so deeply. Because he came and found us when we were lost. That's where we do that from. That's where we bring our amends from. So with the amends process, these are the steps that we would say that, um, just a second, that we do. This is what we, these are the words that we use when we make an amends. We say, I want to make amends for and then you say the area that you, you want to make amends. So you go, hey, I blew it, and I did this. I, I blew it with you, and I participated like this. And then you can ask this question. This is more varsity level, by the way. <laughs> How did you feel when I did that? Now, you have to be willing to listen to what that person says. And then that person really has to use feeling words. Not saying, I felt like hitting you, or I felt like running, or those are not feeling words. Feeling words, you can Google feeling words. words. <laughs> right. But you'd have to say, I felt disappointed. I felt confused. I felt alone. I felt afraid. Using feeling words, you go, how did you feel when I did that? What can I work on regarding that area? And is there something I can do differently next time? Will you forgive me? That is an amends process. Now, you have to have the stability of Christ. You have to have a place where you go, I'm deeply loved. I've wrestled this out with God, and I know that I didn't do a good job. I want to make amends with you because I have felt the tearing in our relationship yeah. and the separation. Yeah. And then the other person, which, by the way, we always get to practice the place of confessor and priest in any relationship. Any relationship. We're either coming and confessing or we're forgiving. That's ongoing all the time. Yeah. The other person yeah. gets to play this role and say, I forgive you. Your debt is canceled. You're free. I want to have a good relationship with you. It's this posture and practice, right, of being able to do that with one another. Us having a place where we can truly forgive and not get this store up inside of our relationship, like what we saw is exploding yeah. back there, 
That's what the Lord wants. So he goes, so you can really look and have clear eyes. Yeah. You can really have tenderness towards the other person. Yeah. We've been married 28 years. My guess is at one point I started guessing how many amends I've made to this woman in 28 years. It's somewhere between eight and 10,000. Here's what I'll tell you. We're current with each other. Like, I still like her. That's good. You still like me? Yeah. She still likes me. Okay. So how can you like someone? If you, if eight to ten thousand times they've shown up, said, "Wow, I want to make amends with you. I think I dropped the ball. How was that for you? What can I work on? Would you forgive me?" And here's what I'd say: If you stay current with each other, there's a kind of healing that can happen. Not because you're perfect, not because um, you know nothing ever nothing ever wrong happens, but you go, "Here's the thing: I want to work this out with you." And I'm going to show up again, and I want to start again. And if she can say, you get to start again. Let's let's just start again. We're practicing. Being current and being able to be connected is much more important than being perfect. Yeah, that's right. Right? And the only one that can do that math is God, but it's real math. Um, and if you take the trash out every day from your house, you could take out the trash 10,000 times, and your house smells pretty good. If you take it out every year, you know what? I probably don't want to come have dinner with you. Um, we do amends every day. And if you're current every day, you know what? It's it's kind of fresh and it's kind of great. So, um, hey, uh, we love children's books. Um, this is one of our favorites called The Christmas Truce of 1914. And um, as we wrap up our time here, just wanted to, um, this is a, it's an interesting story from um, World War One in trench warfare. It was December. Uh, the Germans and the English were on opposite sides of what was really just killing fields in trenches. And it was Christmas Eve and they were both huddled down in their trenches. And as it approached midnight, um, um, one of the German officers began to sing Silent Night out of the trench, kind of across this killing field towards the English. And everyone on both sides just listened to this German officer in English begin to sing Silent Night as both sides were huddled down in the cold in trenches uh, facing off. And then one of the English officers joined in and also began to sing Silent Night across this battlefield. And then one by one, the soldiers on both sides began to sing. They had been killing each other for months across this field. And something about singing Holy Night on Christmas Eve, um, the English officer stepped out of the trench, put his weapon down and began to walk right towards the middle, unarmed, really faithful and foolish. And then the German officer stood up, put his gun down, and he walked to the middle. Uh, there were dead soldiers on both sides, and they got to the middle and they shook hands. And the German officer took out a picture of his daughter. And the English officer took out a picture. And they began to have this communication. And then the other German soldiers and the English soldiers began to come out of the trenches. And they came out and they stayed out of the trenches. Um, the next morning, they played a football game. Um, they were exchanging back and forth. And it, the word got back to the you know commanding officers that they're not fighting. They're not killing each other. Something has happened. This peace has broken out. And they were ordered back to their trenches. Um, but they made an agreement that they would shoot over each other's heads. And they would, and so they couldn't get these soldiers to fight each other again. Um, something had realized where they go, you're not my enemy. You're not my enemy. You're just a person huddled down in the trench trying to stay alive. You are not my enemy. And I would say part of what, Christ wants us to do in any important relationship is to go, that person in conflict, if you see them as an enemy, um, then that's going to have a kind of a fulfilling thing. And if you can sort of go, I don't want to see you as an enemy. I want to figure this out with you. I want to work it out with you. And I don't know how to do that, but you are not my enemy. The scripture says our battle is never against flesh and blood. So my rule is if you can see them, they're not the enemy because the enemy never has skin on. Right. And we want to be aware that there's a dimension to that that's always going on as well. Yeah.
Okay, so we finished up our little portion of it, and now we're going to take, um, I think we're going to do a Q&A right now with Shane. And so... Good. All right. Well, I want to invite you both first uh, to come over to my living room. Yes. So come over and have a seat. And can living we give room. them a round of thanks for what they shared so far? Jack is going to put our, our number up on the screen here for us. Uh, I have, I can, I can get your questions right now. So please send them in. Uh, and we'll, we have about 15 minutes. We can answer some things with, ask some things with you right now. Great. Um, the first one that, that came in is you mentioned paying attention to the first things. Uh, could you clarify a little bit more about what that means? Is that the first things that happened in your life when you were younger or the first things in an argument? Um, what we were referring to... Hey, it'd it, be great if we broke out in a fight right now. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Answer, no, no, it would Sorry. not. Um, what we were referring to in that is first things that happen in the relationship. But first things that happen in your life are important too. Mm -hmm. But what we were talking about is when you first approach and you know there's a conflict about a topic, then it can go south <clears throat> kind of fast. And if you don't pay attention, you can get off tracks really quickly inside of the conflict. Yeah. Um, if things start badly, they'll keep going badly. They, they don't generally self-correct. So if things get badly, it's better off to go, hey, I think we're in the ditch. Can we stop and start again? Um, because once, if you start harsh, it will keep going. So if you can kind of go, I really want to start in a good place. I want to start. Um, and if you just started too harsh, too critical, too angry, to kind of go, hey, can I start again? I think I had too much energy about that. So if it starts badly, it will keep going. And uh, better off to just not try to to just say, well, let's let's try again because that was a swing and a miss. Thank you. Um, so someone mentioned there's there's times when you might, someone can say they're hurt by you. Hey, you did something that hurt me, but you're not entirely sure how that you, you hurt them or you don't maybe agree. And like, I don't, I don't think what I did was hurtful and maybe, you know, and you can't identify who is the real source of the problem. Are you taking it wrong? Am I, how can you handle conflicts like that? So the other person is pointing out something that you've done, hey, done well and they're you hurt, hurt by me you. And you say, I, I don't know what I did or I don't know how. Yeah. Well, questions are always a really great thing. So, uh, and asking it with no sarcasm, if you can, no sarcasm and, um, but asking like, can, could you tell me more about that would be of value in that to, to help understand. Um, I think the posture of humility goes a long ways, no matter what, like if someone has brought something to you that you just go, Hey, I, I, I want to first just say, I want to be in relationship with you. So saying something that recognizes the re relationship is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I think it's important you make a distinction between intention and impact. So if you're talking to someone and they tell you, you know, how they felt and you go, well, I wasn't trying mm -hmm. to offend you. Um, I wasn't trying to do that. So most of us default to defending our intentions. Yeah, that's good. I'm a good person. I have good intentions. I wasn't trying to do that. But that's just talking about some interior motive. Yeah. And I think that's a strong default. But, but when someone tells you that they were impacted in a way that really hurt them, and you go, well, I wasn't trying to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I think we have, to, we have to be careful about defending our intentions. Mm -hmm. If you really want to know how what you did affected someone else, then you have to ask them, hey, how, okay. how was that for you? Um, I might have had like no no intentions or very good intentions, but we have to we have to listen for impact, and that means we have to ask and go. Wow, you know what? I didn't realize that. I'm really sorry. Um, is there something I can do? So yeah, we, we'd all prefer to be the judge of our own actions and say, yeah. well, by my judgment, it was fine. But that's just not yeah, how the exactly. relationship works. Yeah. Um, someone also mentioned the uh, the amends process you talked about. Uh, which is fantastic. In an <clears throat> ideal situation, you you offer those amends words and they respond in kind. But there are times when you go to make amends and they just respond aggressively. Like you're right, you are wrong, and you and that it's very shameful and they they build it up and they're not. So how do you respond when you're trying to make amends but they're not receiving it? Yeah, yeah. I remember when 
our kids, we do this with our children as well. And so they make an amends with one another. And um, remember our daughter, when she was in early elementary, she went and tried to do this amends process with another little girl on the playground. And she came home and she was crying and she goes, they did not receive my sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, oh, we're so sorry. Um, Yeah. So, you know, there's this place of be at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you. That whole idea of going, I'm going to ask the Lord what I'm responsible for. I'm going to bring that, right? And then if someone comes back with accusation, you can say, I mean, I think in some ways you just go, I'm really sorry. I'm coming to make an amends with you. I, and I'm trying to express that I, um, I want to have a complete relationship with you. If they're throwing you under the bus, I don't know that, you know, ramping up to do more in another way is going to be helpful for the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, we're called to go if we kind of realize to go, I didn't do a good job and I'm going to go. Um, I, I did that to a guy. I took him out to lunch and I go, Hey, I, I do not think I did a good job. And he goes, Oh, Oh, you did a horrible job. <laughs> and he proceeded to just tear me apart for 30 minutes. And at the end of it, and I just listened, I go, wow. Oh, and I heard, wow. Okay. I had no idea. I'd right? but I'd prayed before I went. Um, and the Lord said, I want you to go and I want you to make a mention of this guy. And I go, this guy's kind of a firecracker. I don't know this is going to go well. And, but I felt like the Lord said, go and tell him you want to make a mention. So 30 minutes, man, this guy diced me. I bought him lunch, you know, uh, then I left, I go, I am so hard. I'm so sorry that I didn't serve you and your family. I really am. And, um, and then we left and I went back to my car and he followed me back to my car and he goes, Hey, I just went after you for 30 minutes. Why didn't you defend yourself? And I go, I don't think I was supposed to. I think I was supposed to call and and I think I didn't serve you well. And so I think I was supposed to do that. And he goes, well, yeah, but you should have defended yourself. He goes like, I'm kind of an ass. I mean, I'm just all right. And he starts confessing. He goes, I'm out of control. I do this kind of thing all the time. I call people up and, and I'm just sitting there and he, he kind of goes, you know, I, and, and he just tell, starts telling me about how, you know, what a jerk he is and all, and all the rest of it. And I'm just listening to him and I go, I'm sorry. Wow, that's got to be hard for you. And he goes, I know. And I, I can't talk to anybody because I'm such an ass. And, and I'm like going, dude, I'm good. I was trying to leave, right? But he pours this whole thing out and he goes, I don't know what to do. I'm a mess. And I just go, well, hey, can I just pray for you? And he goes, yeah, that'd be great. And I prayed for him. That's crazy, right? It's it's just kind of crazy. But I would say we want to make we want to make room. God says we go and confess. It doesn't say that we we extract forgiveness from anybody. It's never your job to extract forgiveness from anybody. And you know what? They don't need to forgive you for you to be forgiven. That's right. God said, if you if you say to me, man, I dropped it, God goes, you know what? I forgive you. Now I want you to forgive you. So we're all good. Hey, if there's somebody else, go talk to them. But we're good. You're going to the other person not so you'll be forgiven. You're already forgiven. But if they'll forgive you, it'll open the relationship back up. That that person can hold on to hurt and unforgiveness as long as they want. They'll get toxic. But you're done. You're done. You went and they just, you know, they called you names and... Okay, I'm still done. All right, thanks. See you later. Um, so uh, I think we, we're asked to ask. We're not asked to get someone to forgive us. And, um, and we don't want to be clear about that. We want, want to live at peace um, as much as we can. It exposes our conditional nature of our apology that, yeah. well, I was saying sorry, but I only meant it if you were going to accept it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. it's not a real sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone, someone mentioned, uh, asked a question about... Um, what, is there a level of things that you, you shouldn't keep forgiving and, and you're kind of hurting yourself by, for, I just keep forgiving this and they keep hurting me and things such as infidelity. Like, do I just keep forgiving that and let them walk all over me and then ruin our relationship? Um, how, how do you handle repeated offen- offenses and maybe level of offense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say forgiving a person and go, I'm not going to hold that wrong against you. Um, you can forgive a person and then call the police on them. 
and maybe you should in some cases, to go, I'm not holding anything against you, but healthy boundaries is also a part of what we're called to do. So we're not, we're not called to put ourselves in harm's way for some spiritual accomplishment to go, you know what, I forgive you, and I'm not holding anything against you. Um, so forgiveness does not mean that we're now reconciled, I now trust you, you're now back in our home because I forgave you. It means I'm not holding that in my heart against you, and I'm not calling down judgment on you, but there are consequences to behavior. And if somebody is irresponsible or they're dangerous or they're not acknowledging things, you go, hey, I want to have a soft heart towards you and I want to forgive you, so I'm not holy, but a really firm boundary. So uh, it doesn't mean trust is restored, we're good, you're back. It means I'm not holding anything against you. And if you're healthy, we can rebuild trust, we can facilitate it, we can look it out. But it doesn't mean that the relationship is now completely restored and active because I've released that hurt, I'm back to God. Yeah, And that sounds like more patterns to me too. It's like a pattern of this, like you go continually doing this. We've had, I mean, Christ says, forgive 70 times seven, but that's for our good so that everything's released. But having a line and going, you know what, this is a pattern that's good, not good for you or for me. Having a line of going and recognizing patterns of going, no, that's not, you're not supposed to keep walking over me and harming me or hurting me over and over again. There are people that we've been asked to forgive that we don't trust. So... Forgiving someone doesn't mean that now I trust you. It just means I'm called to forgive. There are other relationships where you go, I'm forgiven you, and we've rebuilt trust inside of our relationship. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that does make sense. Thank you. Um, Got time for maybe one more here before we we wrap it up. Um, Making amends each day is is fantastic, keeping that that slate fresh, as you mentioned. Uh, Some of us have not done that. And so the, the amends that we need to make have piled up over years and years and years. Mm. And how, how do you approach that conversation if you know there's an enormous backlog? Yeah. Um, I would say this. Um, uh, this process is not meant to beat ourselves up or throw ourselves down. Um, but if you were to sit down and go, hey, you know, Holy Spirit, show me where I haven't shown up. Show me some some patterns where I haven't shown up. We don't need a list starting from 1978. You know, I mean, to just sort of go, you know, there's been a pattern where I've kind of made my needs the most important thing. And there's lots of different ways, but I've, I've made myself kind of a big deal. And I'll bet that's caused some pain. And I would say you could just ask the Lord to show, ask you to show you a couple of patterns or ways that you haven't shown up in a loving way, and there's maybe lots of expressions, and write those things down. And one of the things that um, we do pretty simply is to kind of go, hey, I want to I be able to check in with you. I've been thinking about how I haven't shown up the way I wish I had. I, I just dropped the ball. And can I, can I check in with you? And, and then we use those words. Hey, I'll have, a, have some things on a list and go, can I make amends for this pattern of being you know, get shut down. As soon as we get in things, I just shut down. I've been withholding and I think I've left you alone because I, I, I feel safe when I shut down, but I think that's a way of abandoning you. How, how's that been? How, is there something I can work on? Could you forgive me? Right? Um, yeah, I forgive you. Your debt's canceled. You're, you're free. Let's start over. So I, I don't think it's, um, it's simple, but it's not easy to put yourself in a position and ask God, hey, are there some things where I've just kind of dropped, I've lost track of, and I want to, in a simple way, get reconnected to this person and see what he can do. And, uh, James says, or John says that if we'll, James, I'm sorry, if we confess our sins to one another and pray for each other, we'll get sozoed, we'll get, we'll get healed, not from negotiation, not from domination, not from conversation. But if we can sit down and go, I want to confess where I missed with you. And we want to pray for each other. And God said, if you'll do that, you'll both get healed. Just by being able to be vulnerable and honest, both of you will get healed. And that's a, a practice that can really make a difference. Yeah. And I think anytime that we have a pile of something where we have, <clears throat> we've ignored something for a long period of time, 
the best approach is saying, do you think you'd be willing to have a conversation? Asking a question about that topic, saying, do you think you'd be willing to have a conversation about this? Like backing it all the way up to saying, would you be willing to have a conversation about this? Just asking for permission first. Then it is not shameful to ask for help. Asking for help is essential. When we have a pile of things, when Don and I, we have people who help us. We have therapists, we have spiritual directors, we have people who help us, who get eyeballs on our life, who help us to see things that we don't see. And so asking for help, going, do you think you'd be willing to get help? Go meet with another couple or someone that you know would have good direction, a counselor. Asking someone to help you go through a process is important too, because if we've gotten to a place where there's a lot, we probably need someone to help us go through that process because we must have pot patterns that have gotten us in the ditch pretty far. So even asking for help is a part of that, but asking just starting with a question going, I've realized that I have not done a good job for quite a while on this area. And I want to see if you'd be willing to talk to me about that. But we first yeah. start with kind of a broader and bigger question. Yeah. Here's the last thing I'd say on that. If, if you want to have intimacy, connection, that you really enjoy and know each other. The raw material for intimacy is vulnerability. If you're not vulnerable, you can't have a sustaining intimacy. Vulnerability is super uncomfortable because it makes us vulnerable. <laughs> it's right there in the word, um, which means I'm exposed, right? To go to someone and say, I haven't loved you or served you or showed up the way I wish I had to confess is really vulnerable. No excuses, no context, no the sun was in my eyes, no, but to just go, I dropped the ball. That is vulnerable. It's really exposed. And to look at someone and say, hey, I was hurt. I want you to work on that. And you know what? I release you. I release you. I'm going to say to you what Christ said to me, you're forgiven. You're free. You can start again. To forgive somebody who's hurt you, that is vulnerable. And when we will be vulnerable in confessing and vulnerable in forgiving, that produces intimacy. And that is the best part of a relationship, that you're connected and you're alive and it's for real. Um, it requires the vulnerability. We don't want to be vulnerable, so we avoid, so we dodge. But we got to, if we want the best part, then we have to go through that part. And confession and forgiveness is just a, Man, it's built into the core. Um, when we do marriage events, we do a sample amends, a, a real one. And I had somebody come up and they go, hey, um, how long did you have to do that before it quit being uncomfortable? To confess some active sin to my wife in front of you? I mean, when did that become comfortable? Never. Every time I do it, I want to throw up in my mouth, right? So... Um, you lean into it, and then God shows up on the other side. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Um, we're going to invite, I'm going to invite Pastor Tim to come up. We're going to close out tonight. Uh, can we share some appreciation for Donna Renee Wooster again one more time? Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, we have a couple things. One is on your defensiveness worksheet, we would encourage you to share that with someone. Um, going and just talking to someone, a roommate, a friend, spouse, and just saying, hey, I want to tell you the things that I, I checked on here. The other thing is, on your way out, we have a thing called rules of engagement. And what we use that for is when you go to have conflict, it takes you step by step of what you would need to do to go, what are we agreeing to when we have a conflict? And it's a way that you can build your rules inside of your relationship so that you can get to a different place. You could read it together. You'd spend some time reading about it and then making your own rules of engagement. And that's a handout on their way out. Awesome. Homework. 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 That's right. It's on the back table in the corner. The okay. Uh, if this is your first equip night, really what we do these for is to raise things to the surface. And so 
I doubt, uh, I know there's a few of you who are really spiritual who just got everything in conflict resolved tonight, right? <laughs> You're going to go home set free forever. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's the case, and th- nor is that the point of equip nights, of any equip night, any topic we do. Really, these are meant to raise things to the surface, even when it's uncomfortable, and then give you some tools, and you just got a lot of tools to go navigate them. And so we, we really want this to be a launching pad. The homework is, is amazing, but also just to, to not try to navigate conflict on your own. Uh, the cool thing, the reason why we have tables, not rows, is conversation and community. And Renee said it, we need help. And we have blind spots, and they're blind spots because we can't see them. And we need other people to come alongside us in this. And so there's multiple ways that that can happen. Tomorrow night is one. We have community groups that meet across the valley. But tomorrow night, we have, we're trying something different, uh, is community groups on campus. And so in the worship center lobby, uh, basically new community groups are kicking off tomorrow night at 630 in the worship center lobby. Uh, one of our staff members, George Brown, is going to help lead that and guide that. And so if you're not in community and you're trying to do this all alone, uh, man, we would invite you to come tomorrow night for that. Uh, Our college students come back in this room on Thursday night. Uh, We're going to continue to talk about relationships uh, and have a panel up here to answer some pretty raw questions about single, dating, married life. My wife and I are actually going to be here on Thursday night, so if you're a college student, come for that. Sunday morning, we have classes, uh, a way to get to know each other in that way. Just as, as many ways possible, we want you to find community in the midst of your conflict, because we believe in the midst of that community, you can find healing and forgiveness uh, as we we do that. And so hopefully this is a launching pad for all of that. If you want to watch this again, uh, we got it on video, and I think we're going to put a blog together with all the resources from Don and Renee this week. Probably that'll come out. And so if you want to watch this again, and like you're like, I missed some things, uh, if you want to send it to somebody else, uh, don't do that passive aggressively. Like, hey, you need to watch this. Um, but I do know there's I, some people were talking to me in the lobby. Hey, so-and-so couldn't be here tonight, and I, I'd really love to send They really wanted to see this. There was multiple people, people like that. And so we'll make that available this week. And then uh, I'm just going to pray for us. Uh, pray that God would bring healing in the midst of our conflict. I know this is not ethereal. This is personal for a lot of us. And so I'm just going to close this in prayer. Uh, if you would, uh, tonight's been amazing. Amen? Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's thank our team, yeah. And uh, one way we can practically thank our team is stacking some chairs on your way out, throwing away trash, of course, and things like that, but stacking some chairs. And maybe if there's a few of you strong, muscular people in the room, uh, rolling some tables out of here, our facilities team will kind of start doing it. And if you can just kind of watch them and join in, we would appreciate that. I know they would appreciate that. Let's pray together as we close. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this amazing uh, opportunity that we have to deal with conflict. And sometimes it doesn't seem that amazing. And yet uh, you have given us tools of forgiveness and confession and community to deal with conflict in a healthy way. I I love that they said at the very beginning to not run from conflict, but to recognize it. And tonight uh, we have recognized, uh, if we didn't already, we have recognized we have some conflict that needs to be dealt with and some amends that need to be made, uh, maybe not just for a week uh, of conflict, but for years. And God, help us by your spirit through your church, come alongside one another and experience healing that is available because of the cross of Jesus Christ to every single person in this room. And so help us navigate conflict to the glory of God and to our good. We pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night.